My name is Drew Hobby, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, I guess thanks for asking me, Scott. <laughs> um, uh, obviously, I'll get a few of the things out of the way. Um, sobriety date is February 25th of 2008. Um, I have a sponsor, and he has a sponsor. Sponsoring one guy right now, and um, this is my home group. Uh, it's been my home group for 11 years now, and uh, it's always been a big part of, uh, you know, helping me get. Actually, you know, I first chose this home group because it was one of the nights the state of North Carolina allowed me to go to night meetings, so I picked this one because it was one I could go to, and uh, I kind of maybe get into some of that and why that happened, but um, Mine's kind of a little all over the place. I just got back from uh, traveling for work. I was in Orlando the last four days. I got back yesterday, so doing a little work function and, and getting to see, uh, you know, going out after after we go through. It was a it was a food show, and uh, you know, brokers and the vendors take us out to eat afterwards, and you know, then I go out with all my coworkers and I get to see uh, them drink. And on the third night, one of them asked me, "He's like, I don't know how you can be around all these drunk people sober." I was like. Not very often. Uh, about the third day, I'd got to about to the point. I was like, I'm just ready to get home. Um, I don't do it very often, but you know, not bother me. But you know, I don't. It's not necessarily. I go out to 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 do it either. Um, I get to see a. Let's just say I saw a couple of things happen, and hopefully the guy ends up. You know, it was. I see where this can take us, and and. Um, it was a, uh, it was, it was a quite a, quite a trip. I'll just say that. Uh, same time last year we were in New Orleans, so I can tell you, it's been a couple years in a row. I've seen some, some drinking, uh, like I used to drink. Um, we'll see. Uh, so, kind of get some things out of it. So I, I, I grew up in uh, Greenville, North Carolina, and I lived there until uh, February 25th of 2008 when I came to Greensboro. Um, you know, I grew up there, elementary school, middle school, high school, college, grad school. Um, that's what I knew uh, growing up around there, that uh, college town, party town. I uh, started early and uh, kind of went that way. Um, so looking back, it always seems a little different when you look back on it. But, you know, growing up, I had a normal childhood. Really, I mean, my parents split when I was young, but you know, at the time it seemed different. But honestly, you know, it it really wasn't that different. Um, I never really went without. I had a lot of what I wa wanted, and I had everything I ever needed. Um, there's a lot of love in the in, in the family. They're all still there, all within like a ten mile radius, and I'm the only one away, and, and I'm and I'm okay with that too. But um, I. It was really normal. I mean, I played I played about every sport you can think of, did pretty well in most of them, did really well in school, never really had to try too hard. Um, looking back, I fit in in every group, but I never felt like I fit in in every group. I always felt that I had to prove to be wherever I was. Um, you know... I've always been better than average at most sports I've ever done, but I've always had to win. I had to prove that I was good enough. Um, you know, I had to prove that I was smart enough. I had, you know, and that I could do all these things. I had to be everything, it seemed like. Um, I had this perception that, you know, that life would be okay with achievements. If I got all this stuff and got all these cards lined in a row and, you know, these ducks and, you know, build it all up, that, you know, then everything would be okay. 
I don't know where I got that idea, but it was just kind of inherent that, you know, I had to achieve things to be, to earn my spot in life. And I don't know why I had that, but it's just what it was. And uh, no matter what I did, it always felt like I needed to do more or I had to, or it wasn't enough, or I was missing this piece. I, it always seemed like I would always hyper-focus on the piece that was missing or something that wasn't going the way I thought it should be going. Um, and for the longest time, I really, I don't know if I really ever noticed it until I got to that age that you kind of get self-aware of yourself, maybe around middle school. Um, I remember that's probably when I started drinking. I mean, I probably had sips on my dad's Budweiser when I was younger. I know I did, I know I did but uh, I don't necessarily remember my first drink. I don't remember my first drunk. I do remember I was in seventh grade. It was a Valentine's Day dance, so it was probably I was 11 or 12 at the time, probably 11 uh, or 12, whatever, and I was sneaking airplane bottles into that dance. Um, you know, I grew up around East Carolina football. My dad went to school there. My brother went to school there. Me and my brother both got our undergrads and our master's degree there. My brother teaches there. But I grew up going to the football games. And my dad, would I would go with him, and I always remember them sneaking in drinks. They would always drink at the game. And somehow I got the perception of they were having fun because they were drinking. Ultimately, I look back now, and I have season tickets with my dad to this day. And I know they, they go and have fun, and they're drinking. I always put together that people were drinking, and that's why they had fun. And that's what I, I, I wanted to, you know, be cool. I wanted to, fit, I wanted to stand out. I wanted to fit in. So I'm sneaking airplane bottles into a middle school dance. Um, and that was just the start of it. Um, you know, roll into high school and start hanging out with, a, you know, every crowd. Pop, you know, I, I bounced around. To many different crowds, I fit in a lot of them. I was, you know, near the top of my class grade-wise. Uh, I lettered four years in two sports, um, and I barely graduated. Um, I'd been suspended so many times for skipping or smoking cigarettes in the bathroom or, or whatever it was. And uh, the group I ran with, I was the only one that graduated high school. Most of all my buddies dropped out. Um, Fast forward years later, and I'm in grad school, and I'm still hanging out with those guys. Um, wondering why they can drink successfully, and I keep, I keep getting all these DUIs, and I keep getting arrested. What, why me and, and not these guys? And that, that's just where my mindset went. But I think that, you know, I was, I was too cool for the, you know, the, the honors and the AP classes that I was in. I was, I was too studious for the, the sports jock type. I was too ambitious for the stoners that I hung out with. And, you know, you see what it was. I focused on where I was different rather than, you know, I just kind of fit in. I was just kind of a, just a normal person. And I couldn't see that. But uh, started, you know, really turning it on in high school. You can just imagine. Grow up in a college town where the, the school, they stop rating it in Playboy as, a, as the best, as the best uh, party school because they don't grade professionals. That was the timing that I was around uh, ECU growing up. So I was... You know, in high school, I'd get in, in my car, after, you know, and I'd just ride around and look for the keg party at the, at the frat houses to just walk up there. And I met enough people that I was getting in downtown, and I was drinking at seven, 16, 17 years old. Um, and I just partied a lot. My mom would be sleeping on the couch waiting to catch me at 5 in the morning when I would get home. And she just didn't know what to do with me. Um, but I remember I got, my, I got arrested the first time, you know, it was my senior year in high school, 
and I got a possession ticket of two different things, and you know, I had to. Uh, I, I was so busy just thinking of what I'm going to do that night or that day or right after school or what I'm going to do that weekend that I never, like, made any plans for the future. I just figured it would all fall in place. I just thought it would just happen because I was able to do all these things. Uh, you know, I never really put a lot of effort into too much, and it just kind of helped. I figured it would just would. So I'd never applied to any colleges, and next thing you know, you know, you know, we didn't, I didn't grow up rich. My dad was a grocery store manager. My mom's a paralegal. You know, we got by. And so I wasn't going to get any money, and I didn't apply for any scholarships. So I wasn't going to be able to ask for financial aid with these charges. So uh, I had to wait for, you know, go through court and to get expungement. You know, like I said, my mom was a paralegal for probably arguably the best lawyer in Greenville because, you know, he kept getting me out of everything. And I never had to pay the guy a dime. And that's a good thing and a bad thing, but it just kept, you know, it kept just being little slaps on the wrist, and I just kept moving forward. And, you know, I finally got all the charges expunged. It was after I graduated, um, barely. I missed as many days as you possibly could. They wouldn't let me wear the honor society cords and all the other stuff. I, I, was, I was on the math team. I couldn't wear those because I'd been suspended so many times. And I, got gra I graduated and then, you know, got those expunged, and I applied, and I got into East Carolina. Um, it was the only one I applied to, and my dad knew a guy. And next thing you know, I'm in the honors dorm that freshman year. My dad really, really, really wanted me to live in the dorms. He wanted me to meet new people. He wanted me to stop running with the guys I was running with. And uh, I got in the honors dorm. I was the only one there not on academic scholarship. And uh, I really didn't have a roommate that whole first year. So my best friend since sixth grade, he kind of crashed there every weekend. Everybody thought he went to school there. <laughs> but uh, we just – I showed all those guys what the – what. I knew every drink special every, every night of the week, and I was down there. And after the first semester, I was a sophomore, so I could park on campus, and a couple of the people there failed out there on academic. And I took kind of a sick pride in that. You know, look what I can accomplish. You know, I can do all these things and, and still get messed up every night or uh, whatnot. And uh, that progressed. It just progressed. It kept going and kept going. I got, a, I got an apartment that you could hit a golf ball downtown, my, the next year, and I was down there all the time. And I, and I realized, you know, I learn very easily, but I only learn if I show up. And so my grades started to go down because I wasn't going to class. If it was before 11 a.m., I couldn't make it. Um, I remember grade replacing a D with an F because I couldn't make the, the, the 10 a.m. class ever. Um, but I remember in that apartment, I got my first DUI. Um, and that started a, a bit of a bit of a spiral, you know. My, so my mom took the car, and you know, and I had to kind of work on all that. But at the same time, I started to have a lot of like stomach pains, like real sharp ones, would just hit me, and it would just kind of take my breath away. I'd have to get down in like a catcher squat for like 30 seconds, and it would pass. And I thought it was just my college diet. Um, you know, the drinking or whatever, and it was just whatever it was. But I remember it was December of, like, 04, and we were at my cousin's wedding, and I was with playing golf with my dad. We were doing a golf outing the day before, and I'm behind the golf cart, and I'm just kind of in my, in my, in my catcher squat letting that, that pain go away. And my, my dad noticed, and he, he kinda, I kind of talked to him a little bit about it. He's like, we need to get that checked out. And so... January comes and we start doing this myriad of tests that no 50-year-old man wants to go through, let alone a 21-year-old guy. And 
within you know a couple of weeks, I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease. It's an intestinal disorder, and within a month, you know, then the next thing you know, I'm taking 20 pills a day for that. Doctor told me at that point I needed to quit drinking and I needed to quit smoking. That drinking was the worst possible thing for it, and cig- and smoking cigarettes was the next. Um, I kept drinking and I kept smoking a pack a day. Um, and next thing you know, I, I fell out at work in the fetal position. They took me to the hospital, and I was in the hospital for about three or four weeks. Um, I went in weighing 150 pounds. I got down. They had to put a feeding tube in my arm because I just I wasn't passing anything. Basically, my intestine closed up and um, from inflammation, and uh, I got down to 110 pounds. Uh, give you an idea, I'm 170, so you can imagine 60 pounds less than I am now. Um, and they had to remove part of my intestine, and I got an ostomy bag. And the doctor told me it would be temporary, but if I kept drinking and if I didn't change, you know, it would be permanent. Or it actually, or, or I wasn't going to see 30, and I was 21. I remember I turned 22 with that bag, and I was drinking with it because I wanted to just be normal. I wanted, why, why me? I remember they gave me a pamphlet, like, Life with Ostomy, and it was this 70-, 80-year-old, yellow-haired, I mean, white-haired couple playing tennis. And I was like, that's not me. Um, I just wanted to be normal. Um, And I didn't know how to I didn't know how to deal with it. It was my last semester of undergrad at that point in time, so I dropped all my classes. Um and, and I went back and I finished my undergrad and um I got into grad school. Um finally went to court for that first DUI. I had the oldest case in Pitt County. It was about four years old at the time. And we went and, and ended up having the same the cop was still there, the same cop, and they had called him the DUI Nazi and he went on this spill of, uh, I missed my this step and this step or whatever, but um, got found not guilty. Um, but since I was 19, when I got it, I lost my license for a year, and I got that, everybody knows the paper license. And I proceeded to get my second DUI on the driving privilege for the first one um, while I'm in grad school. And so I tried to straighten up. You know, we have a little meeting on the, on the porch with my dad and my mom, and like, what, what's going on? What's the problem? What, what do you need? What's, and, I, and I looked at them, and, I, and honestly, I can tell you right to this day, and every time I sat there and told them, I told them I wanted it to be different. And I promised them it would be different. And I meant it. It's not like I was lying to them. I always just, I wanted to be able to turn things around, you know, and, and I kept trying, and I kept ending up in the same spot. Um, I remember it was either the, the, the second one or, as it comes, the third one. I remember I was calling from the back of the cop car, and I told my mom I did it again. It was 4 in the morning, and she knew to come to PCDC to come bail me out. That's where it, that's where it was. She, she knew I did it again. That was always, and then I couldn't give you, I could not give them any reason why. I couldn't tell why. I don't, I don't know. I had a couch to sleep on. I had to go to my bed. <laughs> I don't know what it is about, you know, me drinking and, and cars that I got to be wherever I am is not good enough. And I got to get somewhere else. I could be at the best party in the world. And I hear, well, it might be better at that one. And I will be there. I will find a way to get there. Um, and that's what a lot of it was. And I, I look back and I don't have any friends from college. I don't have any friends from high school, really, or grad school, because I would either find a, a cooler group one that partied better, or I'd make an ass of myself, and I'd have to change groups, and I would just move around. 
And that's, that's, that's where it look, I look back at it now, and I don't know any of them. It's kind of, it's, it's fun. My dad still goes on trips with guys he went to college with, and I'm like, I don't know any of the, I can't even remember, how, I don't remember any of their names, really, because um, I blacked out a lot. But uh, that's another story that I don't have. <laughs> but ultimately, um, it was uh, it's February 3rd of 08. It was the morning of, you know, Saturday night into Sunday of the Patriots shot Super Bowl, the first one, the, the helmet catch one. And uh, I, got, I went away that I never went to drive home to my dad. To, I was living at my dad's um, at the point, at point in grad school, and I'd always kept my book bag in the car because <laughs> I could drive to work and to school. Um, but it's like three in the morning, so I don't know. I kept. I figured I could tell him I'm going to the. Li- I was at the library studying, but he took one look at me and rested me right away. There was no blood. There was no. There was no walk in. There was no nothing. It was just I got. A, I got my. I got a DUI. The third DUI on the driving privilege for the second one. And basically, that house of cards that I've been trying to build my whole life just crumbled right in front of me. Um, And I, I, I remember when they came and bailed me out and took me home, they had this meeting in the house, like, what are they going to do? And, and I'm just out by the pool smoking a bowl, just like, I don't know what other answer to give, and they don't know what to do with me, and I don't know what to do with me. Um, and I, I, was, I was done. I was done. Um, two weeks later... I'm out with my buddies after work, and they're drinking, and, 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 and I drank again because I just wanted to be. I'm mean, with my high school dropout buddies. I'm like, why can they drink and I can't? I got all this. Why me? You know, I don't know what you know, that self-pity just took over, and I'm like, who cares? And, and, and I, I drank again even though at that point I, I was done. So I finally I went, and, and, and my lawyer advised me to go see a different counselor, and I told the guy all the stuff I had done, and after he turned to the other side of the paper and, and wrote all that stuff down too, it was recommended uh, that I, I go to treatment. Um, I didn't know it was called treatment centers. I only knew it as rehab. Um, and, and even in, with everything that was, I was facing, that was still a tough decision because I had this stigma of rehab. That, you know, I knew a couple of my buddies that went there, and I was ne- not nearly as bad as them. Um, but ultimately, you know, I was facing quite a bit because I didn't do any of the community service for the second one because my mom said they don't check it unless you get in trouble. And I wasn't getting in trouble again. I mean, that was, I was going to follow the paper as it says, drive to work into school. And, you know, next thing you know, I, I have that one beer after work and I go home and somebody picks me up. And then it's like, well, I'll just have a couple, I'll have one or two beers. Then I'll drive where I'm going and I'll stay there. And every little inch I took a little bit more. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting where I am, and I'm, I'm debating jail on the weekends or, or, or rehab. And finally I said, you know what, Let, let's, just, let's just do it. And I remember at the time it was about a two-week wait to get into the place here, and I tried to have one big last blowout. Everybody knew I was going because I told them. I was like, all right, you know, I'm going because my lawyer advised it. Everything was preference. My lawyer says I should do this, and, and so I'm going to do it. Um, but we, we had the plans for when I got back, you know, things it was just something I got to take care of. And um, I remember riding up here because I couldn't drive, obviously. My dad and my brother brought me uh, Monday morning 
and I don't remember a whole lot other than my dad kept saying, he's like, you don't be there, you don't be there anyway, why don't you listen to what they got to say? You're going to be there anyway, maybe there's something they can say that can help you. You're going to be there anyway, you know, you don't be there. <laughs> and I remember when he dropped me off, it was the first time in my life, you know, I was 24 years old, and it was the first time in my life I saw my dad cry when he left me. And he told me later on, he's realized, he's like, I wasn't dropping you off for summer camp. And I remember later on when I was making amends to him, he's like, if I'd been, you know, my parents split, and, he, you know, I didn't see him too much for a couple of years. And he's like, if I'd been there more, would things have been different? You know, what, what could I have done? And I was able to say, you know, my dad wasn't going that. My dad managed the grocery store that I could hit a golf ball to. My, he was in my life. You know, my family was in my grandparents lived down the street. You know, I had a good, I got a good structure. I'm an alcoholic. I'm going to drink. Um, but I got in that place. And I got in and I sat down and, and, and it's like a deer in headlights. You know, I walked in there. I weighed about, you know, a little up somewhere in the one, about 120 pounds. And I, I, I didn't realize how bad I looked until, you know, my Polaroid is my bookmark in my book. And um, it's got the date and everything. And I don't want to forget what that looks like. But I walked in there, and I, and, I, and, I, and I couldn't believe this is where my life had taken me. This, this wasn't going to look good on my resume. Because, you know, the, I had this perception of what this meant. I, you know, I didn't want to be that guy that didn't drink. I didn't hang out with those people. I thought they were weird. And so I didn't know, you know... I didn't know what to expect, but about the third day there, they gave me, a, the, I was sitting in a lecture around genetics and how it impacts people, and it said, you know, like, Asian Amer Asians have been, you know, exposed to it for thousands of years, and there's only like one or two percent of the population because they were either not fit to wed or they died early. But the Native American population, 60 to 80 percent, because they've only been exposed to alcohol for 250 years. My grandfather's mom's off a reservation, and he, so he was half Native American, half Irish. I was screwed from the get-go, if you look at it that way. <laughs> so I could hit home on that. You know, I could, I could look at the scientific part. And then I started to write down, you know, all the reasons why or why I shouldn't be drinking. And, I, I mean, I can look at it. I mean, I, got, I, had, I, have, I still have the scar. You know, I had, you know, there's a scar about that long on my stomach from where they went in and took my intestine out. I saw that every morning. I had the bag. Every time I looked at it, it said, if you keep drinking, this is going to be permanent. That was one of the lowest points in my entire life, and I drank for another three years. Playing the tape forward never came, was never there for me. It was, it was obvious, but why did I keep drinking? I couldn't, I could never put an explanation to that. You know, I had my best friend would tell me, he's like, you're one of the smartest guys I know, but you do the stupidest damn shit when you're drinking. And I, and I was like, I guess I do. The dumbest thing was I was drinking in the first place and I couldn't never tell you why, other than why, why can't I? I didn't want to accept that. Why can't I? Um, but I, I kept, they kept taking, I went, I went to my first meeting on leap day. It was that Friday, so, you know, I got two and a half years if you want to go at it like that in AA. Coming up on three next year, we'll see. But um, 
And the guy that spoke had, went to, went to um, ECU. He's still around. I still see him, you know, as an accountant. And the next guy, you know, had lived in Greenville at some point in time. The next guy was from Greenville, South Carolina. You know, I was in there like these little happenstance, ha- these chance things. But it just kind of, hit, you know, maybe between that and going in the small groups and people talking and saying the things that I'd been thinking and they were saying it out loud. I couldn't believe the, the stuff that people were saying out loud. I would never let anybody knew, know that I, was, I had any struggles, that I had any problem. You know, you, I could, you, know you, just, you just bear through it. You just get through it. That you, don't sh- you don't show weakness. That's, it was really hard for me to get that vulnerability to say that I don't know. And that's probably the best thing I've ever learned to say is that I don't know. Um, Stop trying to figure everything out because I drive myself crazy trying to do that. Why this? Why that? But ultimately, um, I started to kind of buy into it, I guess to say. You know, I could could realize I I could relate to what the people were saying. I was like, well, maybe there's something to this. And it got time to leave, and I got kind of squirrely. You know, I had plans to, you know, go back to Greenville. My dad had this interview set up for for me with Wachovia and, and, and to kind of get back into everything. And I decided to stay and do a, do um, the halfway house. And I moved into an Oxford house on April Fool's Day. And I was going to stay through the summer because I was in my last year of my master's program. And I was going to go back and finish that. And I moved in on April Fool's Day. And I moved out on August 1st of uh, '09. Stayed 16 months in that house. I finished my degree online. And I, I never went back to Greenville. And then Wachovia tanked that summer and got bought by Wells Fargo, so I wouldn't have had that job. You know, things worked out the way they're supposed to, not how I would have planned. And that's how a lot of sobriety has been, that uh, my greatest plans never play out the way I want them. Um, they turn out better. You know, I went to court for that DUI, and I had the same judge for the third one that I had for the second one, and it was within it. He's like, I remember you, and I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> and he, I could say he kind of threw it at me, but you know what? He, he saved my life, I think. Um, got two years, supervised probation. I had nine months intensive. I had a six o'clock curfew for my first uh, nine months, and Basically, what that meant was I had to be in the house at, from 6 to 6. I had to be in at 6. He says, but I, but I was like, well, i got to go to four me- three meetings a week to live in this house. He's like, well, you can go three nights during the week, but it can only be Monday through Thursday. So I chose Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, I got a job um, working at Target, going in at 5 a.m., and I'd get off. And it was 10-hour shifts, so I worked Monday through Thursday. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I got up and I went to the 8 a.m. meeting because I couldn't go to any other meeting if I didn't go to that one. Um, and I, so I worked 10 hours a day, and I, was a full-time, I worked full-time. I was a full-time grad student, and I was going to meetings every day but Monday. I couldn't go Monday. And it felt like it sucked. Because you know, I remember in the treatment center, and everybody put the questions up, like, what do you do for fun? And I got to see everybody having fun. They're going and doing this and doing that, and I'm sitting at the house doing schoolwork, missing out. You know, the guy that always wanted to drive to the next party, that always had to get there, was stuck in the house. I made straight A's. I graduated. I finished. And I stayed sober. I would get Sundays, and, and I'd, be, I'd be my sponsor. I was like, well, I got I to gotta, I gotta get better. I got to get better. Let's do some step work. And he's like, you go play golf. And Boyd would pick me up, or Richard, and they would pick me up and take me to play golf. 
He's like, you need to help me with some balance. I don't know about you, but I go one way or another. Everything was and still can fall into black and white. But what I've found is a lot of just living life is in the gray. And i got to be okay with that. And next thing you know, time added up, you know. I kept, you know, I was, it, I lost my license for four years. I had a scooter. It's funny. Some people remember, there's a lot of people that don't remember me on a scooter. But uh, I rode that through three winters, looking like the Michelin man. <laughs> I had an assistant store manager. He was from um, the Ivory Coast. He says uh, that, uh, that I looked like an astronaut, you know. Stay, but, I, but, I mean, I, I, I rode to work with a master's degree, another degree in finance, and I'm counting two liters coming into a grocery store for, three, for the first three years. And I kept wondering, like, when's, when's life going to turn around? When's life going to change? When are these good things that I saw other people happen? And when does it happen for me? You know what? A lot of those that came got the stuff back real quick, I don't see anymore. You know what? I had I had to work for it. I guess um, it didn't it, it didn't it didn't come easy. I had to work on some patience. I had to work on just having a little faith that things will be okay. And I look back now, and man, that was really a lot easier. I didn't have a whole lot to worry about. I just had to show up to work and pay. You know, and I, and I, I didn't have a mortgage. I wasn't paying back these student loans. I wasn't you know going having you know work. I didn't have all these other things. You know, but at that point in time, I I just wanted things to be different. And I remember I, I had interviewed for the where I am now, um, and I did really well, but they're like, we've kind of already got the field up, but we're about to do a whole bunch of hiring in a couple of months, so give us a call back. And I called them back, and I got the job. And in between that time, I picked up my three-year chip, and I got my license back. And so then when I got the job, I didn't have to move. And so for the last eight years... I've been driving an hour to work every day and back. And everybody's like, you drive an hour to work? I was like, I rode a scooter for three winters. <laughs> a commute is not that bad. It's actually kind of nice. A car, actually, this week I've had my car for four years, and I've had 160,000 miles on it. I got 350,000 on my forerunner. You know, it's, it's all perspective. Um, you learn to see that it is a privilege. But um, life's been life. Um, at the conference, we had, they had this speaker, and I think he used to be like the CEO of, uh, CEO of uh, Yahoo or something. And he gave this thing, and, and y'all humor me, and, and, and I'll get to the point. He says, I want everybody to raise their hand as high as they can. Now raise it a little higher. Okay, so you, you, you didn't raise it as high as you could at first. You saved a little back. That's how I lived my life. You know, I, had, I always had an excuse. I was a great procrastinator. I don't know about you. Because as long as I procrastinate, I had a reason why I didn't do as well as I could have done. There's always an excuse. I put everything off to the last minute, and I do that project the night before. Stressed out, but I get it done, and I'd make a B, and I'm like, well, if I had tried, I'd make an A. I just didn't try. I always gave myself an out. When I did my four step, I really realized a lot of that stuff. And so when I said that I was going to try to do this recovery, I was going to do it. I wasn't going to like, I'm a bit of perfectionist too, so that kind of played in it as well, is that I was going to, you know, say get a home group, I got four, you know. I 
I was going to give it a real shot. And I wasn't going to cut myself short. I wasn't going to give myself an excuse. I wasn't going to say, well, if this had been different or if that had been different, you know. Got it. I put on that, that suit and got on that scooter. I don't know how many fifth steps I took out the hall that, you know, Wayne would call me and I'd go out there and, and on a scooter and take a You know, I'd, I was the go-to guy for any guy under the age of 30 for a while there. But, um, you know, life's progressed. You know, I've had a lot of things happen. You know, I bought a house two years ago. I didn't think I'd be single and buy a house, but I, just, I, I, I live in Greensboro. I bought this house. I've, I've, I've juggled back and forth about changing my job um, for chase a pay, whether I decide if I want to chase a paycheck or not. Um, my perspective's changed a lot in life. Um, it's not so much about the things I have. Not, I don't say I don't like having things, and I don't think that's, the, that's not the point I'm trying to make, is that that's not my central focus anymore. It used to be, you know, gather as much stuff and accomplishment, and then the happiness would come. What I've found is that a lot of it is I was, the whole time I'm sitting there worried about all this stuff, I'm always thinking about the future. Or I'm always sulking of if this had been different, the future would have been different. And I miss so much of my life living that way that, you know, when I slow down and realize what am I going to do today, and what I've found is I've got so many relations. Like I told you, I don't know hardly anybody from before I got sober. That's just my story. I'm not saying that's everybody's, but that's mine. I have so many people I know today that I can't keep in touch with all of them, and that's tough. That, you know, I've got to meet and be in three guys' weddings since I got sober, you know. People that are they're really close to and I've grown to, you know, we've got a group of guys for the last five or six years that, you know, we've got a fantasy football league together. We go skiing together. We go, you know, we got a ski trip we've done the last three, four years. Um, you know, go camping on the beach. I got involved with the young people's group because I hit 30 and I was like, I'm still not, I'm still young. I still want to, you know, I don't want to just, you know, I wanted to do a little bit more. Let's just say I'm active and most people that know me know I don't sit still well. So I got involved with just going and doing campouts or camping on the beach or we had an AA soccer team for about three years. We played in the adult league there and, you know, got a group that we play basketball. I got groups I play golf with. You know, I got a full life and sometimes I wish I had more time, you know. Um, but I've got a lot better at just sitting back and, and enjoying not doing things. I'm still working on that part, but that came up like, so two years, two years ago, I, I'd ruptured a disc in my back, and I had, I had to go in and have surgery. And so I'd had all these horror stories about, you know, bad surgeries or what it was like, and, you know, I looked at myself, and I'd based my self-worth on being active, being athletic, and doing things. And, and, and I had this fear of, well, what happens if I don't have that? Who am I? And I worried myself so bad when I showed up that Wednesday morning for the surgery, I'd give myself an irregular heartbeat, and they wouldn't do it. <laughs> and, I, and, and when I went back, I had to make an amends to the anesthesiologist because I was, I, was <laughs> I was a bit rude. I was like, dude, I could go run a 5K right now. There's nothing wrong with my heart. I'm just nervous. <laughs> They wouldn't do it. My brother's in a band with a cardiologist, so I drove to Greenville that day and got cleared and showed up Friday for them. They're like, how are you here? <laughs> but I went, I went through it and, you know, played basketball last night for two hours. You know, that, 
I'm not saying that that's what everybody's story, but I, it made me like look and see that I was at where my fears were. My fears were based on, you know, who am I and what am I? What am I based on? Um, a lot, a lot of fear in that. Buying a house, you know, go, you know, interviewing for these different jobs, and it's just, it's been life. You know, lost, lost the remainder of my grandparents. Um, actually, you know, I was with a girl for a couple of years, and we broke up. And my grandmother died within two weeks. And then at the same time, they re- we did a restructure at work, and half of my department either got demoted or let go. My best friend I worked with became my assistant. So I had all that happen at once. And you know what? A drink never came into my mind. I don't know why today that tape gets played forward. While I'm watching, you know, a, a coworker. Uh, be belligerent drunk and grope people over the weekend or the one guy that almost falls into the between the boat and the in the pier when they're shuttling us between the places and I get to see that and and I and I, I I see myself and I'm out you know well everybody's drinking and they're looking at me it's like how are you doing this and I'm like I just I don't drink today some know some don't doesn't matter I got I got season tickets to football games, not DD. You know I can be around it today because for some reason the tape plays for today. It's the same tape. It's been the same tape this year that it was five years ago, that it was 15 years ago. My tape's my tape. I think a lot has to do with what I do today to keep that self that reminder that you know I'm an alcoholic. I can't drink successfully. Whether I, I want to feel like I fit in more, you know, I could get that. I feel a little bit different around some of those situations, but it's very fleeting. Um, and I think a lot of it is, I don't know what a lot of it is. I've stopped trying to figure a lot of that out. Because I remember sitting there trying to explain to my parents alcoholism and, and why this works. Why is all the love, the support, all that they tried to give and do for me wasn't enough to get me sober? But these strangers I've never met in my life has helped me so much more. I couldn't explain to that to them. The easiest way I could explain to them that is that, why was I drinking? <laughs> I couldn't explain that either. Why, after everything that's my list of reasons why not to drink, and they were long, why did I still drink? I couldn't explain that either. Um, I had to accept that I don't have to know because I had to step out on a little bit of faith that, you know what, that this, I've seen it work in, the, in, in people's lives that stood on podiums, behind podiums like this or sat in meetings they took me to, and I, and I believed what they were telling me. That's the first thing I believed. I believed that, you know, people were telling me the truth, that Alcoholics Anonymous can work. I didn't have to understand. Because what I found, and somebody told me a number of years ago, and, I, and it's kind of stuck with me, is that you can't know and have faith at the same time. Because if you know, then there's really no faith in it. And I just had, and I put a lot of faith that if I live this AA way of life, that I could have the benefits and, and the promises that people spoke about. And that's been the truth for me, and it's been my experience. When I've stuck around and I've done the suggestions, my life got better. And I haven't taken, as I haven't taken a drink. Um, 
And for a long time, AA was, was the God of my understanding. I just believed in AA. I believed in the principles. And, and that's changed over years, and I usually doesn't really matter what I believe. Um, I don't care what you believe. I hope you can find something that you can believe in. That's what I, I, I try to share is that mine's kind of one I'll talk to somebody one-on-one about it, but it doesn't matter because I don't want anybody to cut themselves off from asking themselves what do they believe in. Because I believed in myself for way too long. I believed every thought that came through my head was the truth and was right. And I proved myself wrong enough times, I guess, that I had to, you know, realize that, you know what, I don't have all the answers. And it's okay. It's okay that, you know, it, you know, year 10 and 11 sober was some of the most, was some of the hardest emotionally, spiritually time for me. Because I kept thinking things should be different. I've been sober this long. I've got the career. I've got all this. Why do I still feel like something's missing? And that's because I started falling back and feeling I had to have a timeline with my life. And I kept thinking, and that got back into me. I started thinking so much about me and what I need to do to make my life better that I, I, I revert back. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to stuff like that, I always find and I always hyper focus on what's missing. And here's the crazy part about alcoholism. When, you, when, when I was sitting in a treatment center and they started to say, you know, you need to give up alcohol. This is thing that is ruining your life. I would come up with all the reasons that are good. I've had the same job for seven years. I haven't made less than a B in grad school. You know, I just have a little bit of unlucky run-ins with some, some of uh, law enforcement. You know, they're just unlucky. You know, I would point out all these things that I have when you want to take that away. And I'll lie to myself, and I'll, and, I'll be, and, I, and I'll say things are different. You know, It's easy to keep the same job when you're drinking and smoking weed with the owner. It's kind of hard to get fired. <laughs> That's where I look. But what I've found for me is that my relationships with others and caring about their welfare as much as mine has helped me the most. I remember the first time I ever sat down with my sponsor, and I've had the same sponsor this whole time, and he took me to the top of uh, the chapter working with others. And he says, Practically, practical experience has shown us that nothing so much can provide immunity from taking that first drink as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. As a first line, he, took, he didn't take me to the blank page and say, I didn't know. He took me, this is, this is what I found has worked for me. When I get out of myself and I help others, I realize, and it's kind of the same thing as maybe that's why I needed to be asked to, get, to speak. I've got to remember that, you know what, where I was and where I am today, you don't get there. Old Ramey used to say that. From where I was and where I am now, there's, you don't get to where that, you don't, that doesn't happen. And that's to help me realize some of the miracles that happen is that from where I was to where I am, that's not supposed to happen. And it has. And I can remember, you know, I'm, I've been through so much. Why am I don't worry about circumstances? I don't need to have, I, I always battled having circumstantial contentment. You know, if the circumstances are right, then I'll be content. And what I've found is if I just be who I am and live the life I feel I should be living, you know, the other stuff doesn't matter. It stops, it, you know, it's an Al-Anon slogan, but like how important is it? But... I look at anything that I stack up against is how important is it? You know, is it that? And, and what I found is and it's okay for me to say is I don't know. 
I don't have to. All I got to do is just keep shuffling my feet. That's all I kept hearing for years and years. Just keep shuffling your feet. You're moving forward. You're not going back. As long as you keep shuffling your feet, you might not be taking any great leaps, strides, or bounds, but you're moving forward and you're not going back. And so, you know, for a long time, I just kept shuffling my feet. Next thing you look back, and I've covered a lot of ground. Working with other people and telling, you know, where I've been and where I've, and, and, and what's happened helps me remind me to see how far I've come. I've got to remind myself that because I'll get stuck in the moment and I'll get stuck in myself. And so, you know what? I'm grateful, for the, I'm, I'm grateful that I basically ruined my life. Um, I don't think uh, I had dug enough a hole that I don't think I would have tried something this different if I had seen another out. I, I got that last DUI going down a road I never go down. There's two roads to go. For some reason, I'd seen a, I think in my blacked out state, I remember seeing a cop on the other road, so I took this one, and that's where I got pulled. I never go down that road. But I did. And I ended up here. I don't regret that. That's what, you know, I don't know where I'd be today. Hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully I've said something to anybody that's new. You know, all I have is my experience. Hopefully that gave you a little bit of strength and hope to come back tomorrow. And if not, you know, hopefully there's at least enough in there that you come back tomorrow and you hear your story. Um, because I came, I came around long enough that... I remember the first time I spoke, I was about nine months sober at Dogwood, and somebody came up to me and they had an OSME bag. And, that, was the, and I find that last little piece that I had left out was covered. You know, I wasn't the only person that's gone through that. I remember my first grand sponsor was in a plane crash with his, with his dad, and his dad died in the plane crash with him. And he, he was speaking one time, and a lady came up to him and said, I heard about you, my, same thing happened. I've been looking for you, and I found, you know, those little things. There's, there's nothing I've gone through. There's nothing I will go through. And I believe this, that somebody else hasn't already gone through and stayed sober through and got through and got to the other side. If, there, if, I, if I'm willing to at least admit that I need some help. And so I'm grateful that uh, I've been willing to, for this long, been willing to keep asking for help and keep knowing that, you know, there's still more for me to learn. Um, I don't have this down. I still make mistakes. I still got to go to the Y and make amends for punting a basketball through their ceiling at five years sober, you know, breaking golf clubs, right, Boyd? Yeah, I'm, I'm not the <laughs> – I, I get competitive. I'm a little better today than I used to, and that's uh, – I'm not perfect. But uh, hopefully I said something that can, you know, help somebody out. Um, I'm grateful to be here, and I'm um, Scott. Thanks for letting me. So let me give him this opportunity.